0: Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of DEI After Five. Now, if you've been here watching me or listening for a while, you've heard me say, how do we start making a lot of these moments around diversity, equity, and inclusion into movements, right? How do we start to shift into making something that's really sustainable and that's going to be there long-lasting and long-term? You know, so my conversation today is with a consultant um, whose name is Benjamin McCall, And Benjamin and I are going to talk about, you know, what does that look like? Because I think as we continue to do this work, particularly post 2020, the summer of 2020, um, we're going to really need to see some foundational elements that are in place that a lot of organizations have actually missed out on. So welcome, Benjamin. How are you?
1: I'm fine. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Great. uh, uh, Great to get into this conversation.
0: Wonderful. So first of all, for folks that may not know who you are, can you tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, uh, a little personally, I have two kids. I've been in uh, the Cincinnati area, Southwest Ohio area for roughly 20 years, originally from California, uh, Oakland Raiders fan, but now that they're no longer in Oakland, no longer an Oakland Raiders fan <laughs> since oh, they're in Vegas. No. <laughs> uh, for, the, yeah, for the work, uh, I've been in human resources pretty much my entire career. The first uh, two years I spent in sales and then happened to uh, get into resources because everybody grows up wishing to be an HR generalist or director, right? That's what they dream to be. Uh, but got into training development, spent a lot of time in organization development and have done the work in that area of people applied to the business and the strategy, but also all the mucky mess of, of people's uh, emotions around their own personal views, um, their work, And how that all uh, interacts. And over the last five to ten years, even though it hasn't been popular and advertised as it has been over the last couple, I mean, a lot of us who have been doing work in the DEI space, it, it, it hasn't had a name. It hasn't had a label. It hasn't been popular. It's just the work that you do as a part of your everyday. So that's a large piece of what I've done. And I kind of mix in the original first two. uh, years of being in sales, one of the primary uh, motives and ideas of that is like, we're all in sales. It's just a question of, do we know what we're selling and how to sell it? So for right. me, it's very much a relationship. It's very much of understanding people's ideas and perspectives. And the reason why we're in a space that we've been in in the last couple of years is because a lot of people are talking past each other rather than talking to each other. We're We're caught up in the values and emotions that we have around ideas and values versus help me understand other people's. So the work of human resources, the personal side of, hey, just everyday life and mixing that in. And over the last couple of years, even though certifications and organizations have started to promote and market, kind of like on the sales idea of things, the work is the hard stuff and it's not out in the open and, and eating your own dog food and, and, and confirming that by the actions rather than just how we speak it is very important too. So that's a lot of the that's a lot of the what I focus on and what I like to remind people of as well. And and to your point of moments, everything's a moment and moments don't last. It's a question of who is digging in and continuing even when the moments aren't popular to continue anymore.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely times you know and it's there's so much you just said in that introduction um that I want to kind of tackle because you know for so long you know um many people that are in DEI actually have a background in human resources um and so that's pretty common but there's sev- many folks um and I've talked about this on the show before that come from other disciplines right my background was in marketing i did some strategic alliances and partnerships as well too specifically around outreach and diversity um, diverse focused, diversity focused organizations. So, you know, what you're saying around the, the tie in with sales and marketing is something that we've talked about throughout this, this show. Um, and so it's, it's just nice to hear that, again, it's multidisciplinary. It's something that takes skills from every aspect, right? Because it is about the people. And I always talk about how, you know, how do we, do we know who our audience is? right? And what's important to them? What are their pain points and how do we help solve problems for them? And that's ultimately the foundation of diversity, equity, inclusion, right? That equity piece is that problem solving piece. Okay, here's your solution. Um, and then, you know, kind of the diversity and inclusion is how do we make sure that everyone's heard, everyone's um, voices are at the table, or even if they're not at the table, they're in the room. And so making sure that they they are a part of this conversation. Yeah. So I, I want to, you know, dive into that because I think it's such a critical part of where we're going with diversity, equity, and inclusion. When we think about um, the first kind of, I don't want to say the first few years, but from the summer of 2020, that's when a lot of eyes became open to what this work was, though there were many of us that have been doing it much longer than that. Um, But now we're at this point where it's like, okay, if you think of, we're, we're out of the infancy of this, we're at the taller stage now, uh, for many organizations. What does that look like, right? What What do you think the future of this work could be?
1: Well, and, and I think it's a combination of kind of like when organizations and executives look out in to decide their strategic plan over five years. If you think about a tactical approach to it, there's the idea of and. and and applying it to things that we know or people think and talk about about in the regular business day-to-day life. So we talk about goals, we talk about strategic plans, we talk about the aspects and the tactics that lead to that. So I'll say when executives or organizations or people as human beings, we think about, hey, what do we want the next five years to look like? We'll look at our goals and think about that. And then as a part of those goals, we'll look at goals as I here are the things we've done over the last few years and here are the things we need to change One. Two, here are the things we'd like to do based off data, based off experiences, based off those practices that we've done in the past. That's two. And three, a lot of it's reaching out into the clouds, reaching out into places and far where we don't know how to do it. We've never reached this. It's like having a child for the first time. I've never had a one-year-old before. I don't know how to treat a one-year-old, but I've got a one-year-old. I've never had a five-year-old. I don't know how to treat. So as you go on, you're learning as you're going. And then when you do it over, it's better. So I think when we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, organizations really have to, before they start marketing, before they start advertising, before they start start pushing employment brands and trying to get candidates to make it an inclusive organization, you have to think about what does inclusion look like in our organization for us? And I think- Many people, especially when you come from uh, multi-disciplines in in doing this work, or you've been doing the work in a silo from your life experience, from your background, or your social justice beliefs and ideas, um, those silos, many consultants, many people who get into it, care about it, they will focus on the area from their life experience and their practice. And diversity, equity, inclusion is a large punch bowl. It's a large ocean. So when we're going through that work, we have to think about what do we want to be? How do we want to look? And also, who's our audience? What is our current audience, the current state? What is the current state of the organization? And what needs to be accepted immediately? Because we're going to die. We're going to be hurt. We are not going to be able to do business. We're, we're losing people as a result of it. And what is the future state? What do we want it to look like? And how do we get there? I think the biggest challenge in getting there is people don't often build bridges. They don't necessarily, they think we can change overnight. I I deal a lot um, when I deal a lot with those who are educators, those who are PhDs, those who especially spent their time and done research and studies and are part of um, plans or uh, departments that are diversity, equity, and inclusion. They will do all the research and that data is very good. But the practice of applying it
0: Execution, can be very yeah. challenging.
1: And that takes building a bridge. And, I, and I'll leave with this point. I think part of it's having a lot of conversations, being willing to be less of yourself um, on the high horse or the soapbox in frustration of like, here are the things we've dealt with and here's what we need to see change. And we're, we got a boot on our neck while the rest of the world is like, just wait. We have to be we have to be um, working through that while others, it's their first time, it's a pinprick to them but they're feeling all this pain because it's the first time. It's like a child putting their hand on the stove for the very first time. It's the end of the world for them. But for us, we've got scars, we've got bruises, we've got life experience, but we've built the resilience and they have not And I'm, I'm not saying that you don't deny, disregard, or ignore the negative aspects of people's attitudes and behaviors. Right. But once that unconscious bias becomes conscious and people make a choice consistently to choose that conscious bias over people's integrity, people's um, humanity. Like James Baldwin always said, we can agree to disagree, but if your disagreements are fundamentally against my humanity, you are wrong. Um, So I think we need to watch out for that, but in people, regardless of ideas and beliefs, um, where we have to move is goals, objectives from current state to future state, build bridges to get there, as well as have a lot of conversations and be willing to hear people out because until then all it comes across is like fists hitting each other and no one wants to get hit. No one wants to feel the pain. So they run because that's our brain science. We will flee when we find fear or frustration with something. When we have an environment that's comfortable, we'll stay.
0: Yeah. You know, I think you've laid out a lot because um, many organizations to your point, know where they are now. Some Actually, some don't even know where they are now. They know that future state, they know where they wanna be. And they they're they're kind of working backwards, right? We wanna get more folks in to say we're inclusive without preparing the body, right, for that new organ, preparing the body for what they're actually asking for because that's when you get the fist, right? Oh, now you've hired someone from the outside for this position when someone who might've been mediocre, was already in, in, in the, the lineup for that position, right? When you talk about succession planning and how you change all of those things. So I think, you know, there's absolutely lots of things that um, you just said that people will need to start to unpack and really think about and be reflective. And what are we really trying to do and accomplish here, right? And it, it goes back to goals. And one of the questions I kind of wrote down as you were talking was, do people even have, Realistic goals. Um, I think they have aspirations. Many people have aspirations, but are their goals realistic for them and their organization where they are now? And so, what have you seen in that space? Because I could talk about what I'm seeing, but I definitely yeah, want to yeah. see what hear what you're you're
1: seeing. Well, I'm 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 assuming that I probably am not too far from you from what I've seen and what I witnessed <laughs> and experienced. And and I think most people, as human beings, have good intent. Yeah, and good intentions are good, um, but that is an action, and that is also not well thought out conversations, relationships, and tactics to be able to get to that intent. And I think we rely heavily as human beings on intent rather than, hey, what is the real life environment that our intent is going to land on? You know, I, I'm a big believer in yes the golden rule. Treat others as you would want to treat themselves. But I'm also a big believer that that uh, common sense is not common to everyone. And when people first hear, hear me say that, oftentimes they will take it as, well, common sense, the negative. Hey, they don't have my common sense. They're not very smart. They don't know this thing that everybody knows. When I look at it, it's common sense isn't common to everyone because we all have different life experiences. I come from a different place. I'm born and raised in California, moved to the Midwest. I am an uh, a, a someone when someone looks at me depending on what background they are they will think I'm anything but the thing I am and the thing that they think so all these things that build up my life and my experiences are different than yours now there are some common there are some common threads but that intent is often lacking of understanding what is someone's current common sense and also how do I bring them and build that bridge to that side so that's one of my experiences. Another thing that I've seen is that good intent. Like, if you think, I think often, you know, we have so many of these moments. Even if you think about the social justice of uh, the Ahmaud uh, Aubrey's, the mm-hmm. the uh, Sandra Blands um, in Cleveland, the child was shot playing with a toy gun instantly. Tomorrow, and, right, and then, yeah. yes, and to, to Rice. And then when we have, when we have this instant of George Floyd, there's so many moments that happened before that. And for some reason, at the right time, at the interesting moment, during a pandemic, everyone was able to see behind the curtain of what we typically see on a regular basis, but is often yeah. ignored. So at that point, that is this. I think that moment was one of the very first moments where everyone was, not only we've heard it in the past, I hear you, I see you, I'm with you, um, thoughts and sure. prayers, but now it's like, hey, I've got money and I'm gonna back you up. We, we're gonna start creating positions. A third thing I'm seeing, which that's great intent, is that was 2019 to 2020 into maybe the end of 20, into beginning of 21. Starting at the end of 2020 into 21, most organizations, most places that made these big moments and made these big announcements, and hey, we are we are uh, supportive, we hear you, see you, into 2021 and after, it's like, I was just playing. I said, oh, really? You, you, you want to hold me again? No, nah, that, that, we that was back then. We're starting to see a lot of those dedications, that intent, recede because there are other things that are taking up people's time. So the challenge is still working through that while a number of people and organizations that used to have support, um, either by word or by mouth, money and positions, are starting to recede but there's, but it's still there. It's like an organization that I worked with and they announced this, Hey, out of our budget, we're going to give this amount of a half a million dollars, a million dollars over the next five years. Everybody applauded. At first I was like, your budget is 300 million. Um, This is like 1% of your budget in a year. And you're distributing this over one year, but at the same time, I'll take it because because you have to use those things as leverage. You have to use the system and the resources of that system in order to change it before you can rail against it. You know, I'm very much a Sun Tzu, Art of War type person. It's like, understand your enemy, work work through the system, understand the system. So if there's parts of it you don't like, you can take it down. So a lot of it, I've witnessed that. And um, I think the important side note and conversation needs to happen is calling those people out, being firm but fair, without being destructive and divisive. Um, And language is very important. tay C -C Coates has a talk, which I'm sure many people have seen, and he talks about context. He's being interviewed um, at a college and a college student asks a question about the N-word being spouted in in a song. There's a concert for rap artists that's coming out and he starts talking about context. He's like, we've lost this idea of context. And for some reason, when it comes to, African-Americans, people just don't use it. Hey, I want to use that word. They're using it. Why can't I? Whereas if you and I were married and we were walking down the street and I call you honey or I call you baby and another woman walks down the street and starts calling me honey or baby, I would hope that I would not have a relationship with that woman. We have a relationship with my father, with my son. I will call them certain things. Other people can't call them that because we have a relationship and that relationship builds context. And that context build familiarity. And when people don't have familiarity and when they don't understand the context, they look at it as a slight. And why can I, and it goes to this freedom of speech thing. I can say what I want, but freedom of speech is not freedom of, of consequences. And again, people are getting pricked, and they're like, they're, they're mistaking freedom of speech with my permission to say whatever I want to say versus how is this hurting people? Yes. My son can go around and hit anyone he wants, but should he, he has the freedom to do that, but should he? And that's the important thing is people aren't asking as much over the last three years, people have been pent up, locked down, whether they wanted to or not. And now they're out in the open. Oh, I'm moving my legs and they're moving all sorts of legs. They're moving their legs of racism, prejudice, confirming conscious biases and like, Hey, this isn't me. This is you. I'm against that. So I'm against you. And that's what I'm seeing a lot of, of people placing people in the boxes and yeah. dismissing them because it's easy to displace boxes rather than it is to understand humans. You know, and I think there's so much again to unpack.
0: <laughs> and everything it's you just so, said.
1: So, I'm giving too big of a pack, I apologize. I'm saying no, too much. Okay. <laughs> that's okay, that's um,
0: okay. Because I think it goes back to something you said earlier around, you know, the people that are doing diversity, equity and inclusion work, right? you know, and and the lens that they have coming into this work. Um, You know, if you're coming from a a place of this is your personal experience and you're going into organizations as a consultant based on your personal experience, you too have a bias, but you're also going to be shifting the conversation or trying to create that environment to fit something that'll be comfortable for you, right? Where there are many practitioners that look at this from a more holistic way that say yes we're going to have anti-racism as a part of this but we're also going to look at what does anti-semitism look like in this how are we going to look at what does uh, misogyny look like in this and we look at all of these different aspects so that again going back to what i said earlier everyone feels valued seen heard and connected so that there are fewer boxes right and people can start to make connections with Oh, this may not be my experience, but I know someone that I care about that may be experiencing this. And because I care about that person, this is important to me too. Right. And so that's kind of when we start to break down a lot of those barriers. So, you know, that reminds me of um, a story that I was thinking of, you know, as you were talking around um, a facilitation that I was doing. And there was a gentleman in there that, you know, arms crossed, did not want to hear anything that we were talking about around privilege. And so I started talking about uh, privilege being things that you don't have to navigate or think about, right, when you when you use it from that definition, and use the example of accessibility, and someone in a wheelchair, if they were coming to visit their office, and, you know, someone is brand new to the office may have to think about, okay, is there an elevator? Are there stairs? Is there a ramp? Where is it, you know, related to where I have to get into the building? And all of a sudden that man's face shifted because his wife is in a wheelchair. And he talked about his experience being at Disneyland, their experience at Disneyland, and how they had to navigate getting from rides and getting on rides with his wife in this wheelchair. Um, Up until that point, nothing that we said in that session around race, gender, sexual orientation, anything clicked because he just didn't get it when we started talking about disability because it was someone that he loved he was like now i understand what it means to have to navigate or things that people don't even think about right and so then he was able to connect it to race gender sexual orientation um and so sometimes you know to your point it's we have to make things connect to people right yeah. we have to get them out of their head to their heart um you know, one of my former guests, uh, Farah Harris, says, you, you know, sometimes it's not near to us until it's dear to us. And so it, it's that connection that we have to do, you know, in this work. Um, another thing that you you touched on was, you know, making sure that there are inclusive cultures, right, that people are in these organizations, they're, they're not just checking a box to say, okay, yep, we've done that. We've had unconscious bias workshops, we've Check, you know, all of these trainings, we're good to go. They're really doing the work, and you talked about again the the structure, the systems, having all of that in place so that they can do the work that they need to do. I want to do a little bit of a pivot because yeah. um, when I started, you know, at the top, we were talking about having solid foundations, and when you and I were chatting before, there was something that you said that was just, that just resonated with me around you know, when you're building a foundation, that's great, but what are the walls, right? How are you holding the, the structure together? Yeah. And so you talked about drywall, brick wall, and foundational walls. And so can you talk to us a little bit about kind of what those are and, and what that looks like within an organization? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. And that idea of walls can apply to a lot of different things. Um, when I, when I talk about foundations Yes, you need the foundation of where you started, where you're going and what you're using. But usually the building that you're in and the places that we work, the interactions and the relationships we have are either fostered, built, sustained through the idea in my mind of drywall, uh, brick wall, foundational walls. So when I say that, in an organization, when we think about work and the work that we're doing, there's certain changes we can make, there's relationships we can build, there's adjustments we can have. And some things we can change fast. That's drywall. That's stuff we can bust through, we can change up the size of a room. Um, that are That's sometimes programs, tactics, uh, processes, you can adjust in that way. Some people may be frustrated because, hey, I had a wall here and now I'm out in the open and what does that mean for me? So, you know, just how to address it. The brick walls are things that may take time to break down. You can chip at the mortar for for a while before you can take down that wall, but you gotta do the work to chip at the mortar. So those are ideas, those are beliefs, those are practices oftentimes that are based off of certain programs and policies or actions of supervisors and chains in your organization. But it will take time. And in order to do that, you have to build those relationships, you have to build those bridges and you have to build those um, um, connections across departments, across people in order to know what What walls can I take down? What um, mortar can I chip at to take this wall down? And it's going to take time. The the final thing is foundational walls. Those are the things that held the building up. That's typically culture. Those are things where, hey, if you've got uh, an organization that's owned, privately owned, and there are certain executives or the CEO that owns it, they're not only the boss, but they're the owner. Their ideas, their policies, their practices, they want it there for a reason. So those could be foundational walls. The culture could be a foundational wall. Those are the things that if you take it down, people are going to have a major problem with, and it's going to break everything down. It'll break down the business. It'll break down the relationships. It'll break down what how we do our work and who we do our work with. And oftentimes, that's a personal question. If I'm going to break this foundational wall down, is it something I can break down? Probably not. And if I pr- can't, am I going to live with it? or am I gonna walk away? So you can choose to leave, you can choose to be like, hey, here's a place where we can't touch it right now, but we can touch all this other stuff. And maybe later on, we can move this foundational wall or foundational pillar to another place, just like you do in any rehab, in any commercial space, in any um, retrofit of something. So when I think about that, it's not only with the business and the work, and and but when we talk about DEI, what about individuals? What about people? What are their foundation walls? What are their values, their vision, their mission, the things that you cannot change? When you talk about their children, when you talk about their family, when you talk about the, those deep relationships, those are things you may not be able to just bust down and, and walk through and change about that person. When you think about brick walls, hey, those are the things my daily routines, my life experiences, the things that built to... I, this is what I know the world to be. So, what am I going to chip at? What kind of conversations do I have? How often do I need to show up and be sometimes a little bit less egotistical, less bravado of myself and open minded and and hear more of that side? Whereas, foundational walls, it's just those typical conversations and relationships that aren't a big deal. We can talk about stuff, you know, hey, for some people, that's politics. We can talk about anything politics and others. That foundational wall or that brick wall is like don't touch politics. So when we're building these bridges and especially on facilitation and training, um, I think you have to understand what kind of building you're walking into, what culture, what relationships, what are the people like there? It's not just bringing my ideas and experiences and perspective and my expertise, but it's, hey, how does this land? How does all of me, as a consultant, for example, being brought in to make changes, to hear things out, to help with strategy. How is everything that I do going to land? Is it going to land like a feather, a pillow, or, or a rock? Is it going to hurt people? Is it going to feel comfortable? Or is it going to be like nothing? It's not a big deal. So we have to understand the landscapes we're going into, the people that are working through those in order to build those foundations. And I use a lot of analogies and oftentimes like the reference you made of talking about disabilities and that connection. Once they saw that, they saw your analogy, they connected it and that built that bridge. And so made it real. Exactly. Yeah. And people like your, your colleague said is like, hey, the, the closeness, For me, it's proximity. I have this idea that's proximity principle. The further away from something someone is, whether it's an idea, a belief, uh, an experience, the more I don't believe it's real or it's not a big deal to me or I don't see your side versus the closer I am, the more I feel the pain from it, the more I feel the emotion, the more I can empathize. COVID is a perfect example. You will see people who had no proximity to COVID. This isn't a big deal. It's just like the flu. Uh, You know, they're lying to us, all this. Whereas people who felt it and had people die in their families or almost die as a result, they have proximity to it. So it's the same with equity and inclusion. In order for people to belong, they have to feel included. And in order for that inclusion to happen, we have to understand the differences and the way we work. And in order to know all that and to make DEI work, we have to know what landscapes we're walking into and how we're building that structure and how it's going to fit and if it's going to work. And recognize the foundational pillars, the foundational walls. What, what can we work around for now, but eventually we're going to have to move this or get rid of it. So what, how do we prop up the structure, prop up the foundation, prop up the building, because we don't want to tear everything down. Right. In order to maintain what we're trying to do not lose everything you are but build off that and know that hey just like the constitution it's an idea that can be changed it is not a concrete document it's not a concrete idea and out of all the things that people praise and i'm kind of jumping off but out of all the things that people praise founders and uh patriotism and all this i understand that but founders were men they were people they were human human beings it reinforces how much they thought what they were doing was okay. Yeah. And we've had the foresight insight of today and the past to know certain things aren't okay and we change them. So when we see the light and those unconscious biases come up and become conscious, then we have a choice to either change or dig in.
0: Yeah, Um, you know, it's one of the reasons why I really love the analogy, you know, the walls, the brick walls, I'm I'm an HGTV junkie, so I, I will admit <laughs> that. Um, but it, it's just so, vi- and I'm a visual person, so it just it reminds me of the times where, um, you know, with, where there's a show, you know, good bones, right? The the building, yeah. the foundation the company has good bones, but when you look at, you know, there's probably flaws behind those walls, right? There's probably bad bad plumbing. There's things that are outdated that need to be removed and replaced. And as you said, you know, this is a, oh, there was a wall here. We can move that out and it opens it up to so many more people. Right. And so that's the analogy that kind of comes to mind. Like I I kind of take it to that next level of by knocking out this wall or taking out this policy, how much more access are you creating for others that may not have been able to utilize that room before that space before.
1: Um, when, like you, know, you mentioned, to utilize that space, it's it's like your disabilities analogy. It's it's there's so many indigenous people. We, we we often, when people think DEI, they often think race.
0: Yeah,
1: but there's so many populations, groups that have not been recognized in the work and in corporate America and in organizations around. DEI and leave out that inclusion, you know, LGBTQ, disabilities, indigenous people, people with certain health issues, there's so many times they're left out. So how do we, how do we build that up and also open up our lens to where, yes, we have good intent and we're trying to change, or we know it's got good bones and we're making the plumbing, but at the same time, how are you adjusting the plumbing to include other bathrooms? So people just don't have one bathroom and you got a family of 10 and one, and they're all using one bathroom. So all these analogies to use of like, Hey, how are we widening it? Looking at the whole foundation, looking at the whole building, knowing where the good bones are and, and objectively and subjectively looking at it. Okay. Where are we missing chess moves? What are all the pieces? How are we making these moves? How can we be attacked? How can we support, um, versus just our moves and our selfish needs? So.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, you could go so many places with oh, yeah. this analogy. Um, And again, me being an HGTV head, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> take it out of this. But, yeah. um, you know, the, the other visual that came to mind was, you know, when you talk about foundational walls and people think that, okay, but that's part of our foundation, it can't be moved, right? Well, what structures do you put in place, right? You could put beams in, right, to hold up that foundation while you make that change, while you put in a beam, literally put in a beam. Right. And you pull those away so that that foundation is is being upheld properly. Right. So even when when you think about it from an architectural lens, it's very similar. What do you have to put in place? What structures do you need to put in place to make sure it doesn't fall? Right. To make sure that it's structurally sound, to make Mm -hmm. sure that um, when other changes happen. Right. you're, You're taking all of that into consideration. Um and so that's what you know when we talk about DEI strategy and structure and goals and visions and everything that we want to do in the future right how are we looking at how we are building our house and and what do we need to do that so i absolutely love that analogy um you know when you when you're talking about all of that so i want to do a little bit of a pivot because you know we it takes a lot to do this work yeah and, you know, even when you're talking around, you know, the politics of it and what people kind of hold on to, with, which is their foundation or what, or something that they may perceive as part of their foundation, when in actuality, it may have been a, just a visage, right? It may have been just some of, uh, um, just, what's the word? I just lost the word. Uh, it may just be something that they're envisioning that may or may not be there, right? That's something like in the Desert. Yeah. Okay. So, you you know know what I'm saying? Mirage, yeah. Yes. That's the word I was looking for, mirage. Um, And so, to take that all in as a consultant, to take that all in as you're going into these organizations, takes a lot out of us, right? And so, what do you do? How do you um, fill your cup? How do you take care of yourself as you're going into these organizations and making sure that they have kind of the structures that they need in order to continue and sustain?
1: Well, and and for anyone, I think you have to find the places that you have and can find joy, Um, because when you think about this work, there are parts of it. Any work that I do, I, I love I love the work of organization development, of training, of HR, of DEI, partially because largely it's helping people become better. One of my pillars is no matter what, no matter what I'm doing, whether it's work, consulting, personal life, professional, how can I help people become better? How can I be the person that if you are having a crappy day, you come across me and I'm I'm one of the lights in your day to help you like, hey, it wasn't so bad, or at least I had a good experience with him. So I think we have to find those moments in our day to to build up to to have joy and also hey there's light at the end of the tunnel. So when it comes down to it the work is tough and it can be draining. So if if 55% of my day and my work is stuff that I enjoy, I get for me personally I've built up enough of resilience that I could deal with all the other crap all the other tactical, all the other bad attitudes, all the people that believe and don't believe, building up, hey, I don't care about what you have to say or I'm not gonna do this. I can deal with that because I can work through it because that's life, that's what we have to do. Not everybody can. On the personal side, I get completely away from it. I think about stuff like this all the time in life, which is tough, but I, I work out. So every morning, pretty much, my kids, they'll they'll get up, get them on the bus, and fortunately it's early unfortunately it's early because I love sleep and they'll get on the bus by seven. First thing I do is I'll work out. So three days on one day off. And usually that off day I'll do stretching. You know, I'll do some type of physical activity. So that gets me in the way. I like, um, my, my kids are involved in sports. So I'll be involved with sports with them. Me and my family, my wife and I, and my kids will go, we'll go travel. And I also take walks. So my typical routine is bus kids get off, work out and then every other day at least I'll take a walk and I'll listen to podcasts. I like a lot of history podcasts. I like a lot of um, there's one of my favorite podcasts is Throughline and it talks about uh, it talks about pretty much hey these major moments that we're having now like oil prices, inflation with um, George Floyd. and it goes a through line way back to where where did a lot of this stuff come with bru- police brutality. What happened with oil? What happened with inflation? And it goes back in history and ties it back together. So it gives me that context of history and things that are now, but also a break is just something I can listen to. That's not thinking about my daily work. Um, so outside of those, the things that help you find joy and can take your mind, it's kind of like when we were kids, I was always told and it was reinforced by experience that if I'm in a classroom and I'm going to take a test, I should study and do the work of that test in the same place I'm gonna take the test because you have muscle memory, mind memory around the things you're learning and it helps bring back when you're in that test. Same thing with stuff you need to get away. If you are doing the work, if you found those things that can take you outside and find joy in, do those, but leave your work in one place. So if you've got an office or if you don't have a home office, if you're fortunate enough to work remotely, and you work at your kitchen table, change it to a place where there's at least three walls around you, it's an enclosed space, and you leave all your work, every time you do work, every time you do something that's that's professional, you do it in that room. So that way, when you leave it, the only time you really think, it's not heavy on your mind, it's not always on your mind, it's not on your mind when you're trying to go to bed at night, you can walk away at least in some way from that room And your mind doesn't have reminders of all the stuff that stresses you out or the work you have to do. There are plenty of people that will take notes or do work in their bed. That is the absolute worst place to do it is in your bedroom is because when you're trying to go to sleep, everything around you reminds you of that stuff. And sometimes it's proactive because especially if those of us who are thinking about this think it's important, we care. And when we care, we think about it all the time but it's kind of like phone notifications. If you're always in Gmail, don't have a Gmail notification. Don't have a pop-up or bus. Take all those away because you're getting into it already. So separate yourself from that space. And the other thing is find people, the third thing, find people that you can talk to about it, whether it's colleagues, those that won't necessarily feel like that room when you need to get away from it. You know, it's more of like, hey, I need to get this off my chest or no one else is talking about this and I know you know something about it or can empathize or at least call me out and say, you know, you need to think about this. I agree with you on this, but you need to think about it in this way. It's kind of like my coaching. Anytime I coach or work with people, I'm always saying, I want to get to the point with you, Sasha, that when we have a relationship, you know my intent and I can say, Sasha, really? Come on, really? Versus you thinking that I'm questioning your decisions or questioning you. And that's the biggest problems with people, relationships, and organizations, especially those who are in power. Whenever they feel like someone's questioning them, questioning their decisions, they feel like it's a personal question on them, and then they go on the attack. So find people that you can have intent with, you can shoot things down with, and you feel comfortable. Could be friendships, could be colleagues, but around the things that are important that you have to get off your chest, both personal and professional, have people like that. So have your routine that you can find joy, find a place that you can work and separate yourself from that work and find people that you can get things off your chest, talk about that work and can confirm or challenge you on those ideas versus you locking yourself up into these unconscious biases or these choices around your conscious biases. And like, hey, I'm right, 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 right. You don't get there, (laughs) you don't get in that place. Because I've talked to people, I've been in sessions to where, like, hey, we all think we're right, 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 right. I'm right, right. We don't want people, we don't want to come across that way. Yeah. Um, so so
0: yeah.
1: I think those three things are important. For, at least those are part of the three things that I try to maintain.
0: Wonderful. No, I, I truly um, appreciate you sharing that because I think what you said will resonate with a lot of people. There are things I've said before, too, um, especially at the start, <clears throat> excuse me, at the start of the pandemic. So many people are trying to figure out where do they work when they were working from home. And I had worked from home for 10 years before that, right? So that advice around having a specific space is something that I've always you know, told people to do and always um, finding joy, right? I, I love that. Um, it's something that, again, I talk about with self-care and and, and people taking care of themselves and then always um, being in community or finding your community. So Ben, thank you so much for for being with us today. Um, You know, I think there are so many things that you said that people can kind of take note and walk away with or at least start thinking about in the context of their organizations or how they're approaching this work as we think about, um, you know, the future of this work and kind of what walls are they willing to move or what walls are even in their organizations. So thank you so much for um, being with us today. If people wanted to find out more about you or to connect with you, where could they go?
1: Yeah, you can go to LinkedIn um, or just contact me directly through Twitter uh, or through LinkedIn, Benjamin McCall. So my face is pretty distinct. So you'll be able to see it once <laughs>
0: happens. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for being with us. And everyone, thank you so much for this joining us for this episode of DEI After 5. As always, you can find us here on YouTube. You can find us on your favorite podcast platform. And until next time, have a good one you. <sniffs>